The changes keep coming to Jays land. After six years in Toronto, Aaron Sanchez is on his way to Houston courtesy deadline day. Toronto shipping Sanchez, Joe Biagini, and a prospect known as Cal Stevenson to the Astros. Meanwhile, the Jays, they get outfielder Derek Fisher. He was the 37th overall pick back in 2014. He's batting 226 in 17 big league games this season. Fisher is 26 years old. So it was a busy day for the Blue Jays. Was Sanchez a requirement to get Fisher back? Yeah, I mean, it really just comes down to him lining up, too, with the control. So there's only one more year of control with Aaron Sanchez. He's had a tough year. He's had, uh, you know, really a tough three years from an injury standpoint. So, you know, what that means going forward, it's hard for a pitcher to recover and bounce back and haul 200 innings year in and year out, and I hope that he does. Uh, but, you know, because of where we were in the timeline, uh, we had an opportunity to acquire an everyday what we feel is an everyday center fielder and someone that can play all three and, you know, as I said, hits the ball hard and is an exciting young athlete. So uh, very glad to have added Derek Fisher. We'll be pulling for Aaron Sanchez. Uh, you know, he's he's been an unbelievable human being here, and I, I love seeing his face, and I'll miss him. Where to begin? Where to even start with this trade deadline for the Blue Jays. It's our second podcast of the week, and I feel like we could have probably done one every day. Easily. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez. Would you like to start with Aaron Sanchez? I feel like this is a bit of a trigger point for a lot of Blue Jays fans. Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden Swelling, it's at the letters. Brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. Bit of a trigger point for fans. Fans weren't happy to see Marcus Stroman go. Really not happy to see Aaron Sanchez go. No, they were not. And I think that Seeing him go with Joe Biagini, I mean, those are a couple of guys who were on the Blue Jays when they were good. Now, there's really no one except for Justin Smoke connecting the Blue Jays to those 15 and 16 teams. So, understandably, it's jarring to see a player like Aaron Sanchez traded. And then when the return, Derek Fisher is not someone who's a top prospect or not someone who's viewed even as a sure thing to be an everyday player, then I think it's understandable for fans to be less than thrilled. We'll get to Fisher in a moment, and let's just talk about Aaron Sanchez right now, because like there is a gap between how not all Blue Jays fans, but a lot of Blue Jays fans perceive Aaron Sanchez and how the industry perceives Aaron Sanchez and how maybe even the Blue Jays internally perceive Aaron Sanchez. And I don't fault any fan for uh, looking back fondly on the 2016 that Aaron Sanchez had. I look back fondly on it. It was awesome. It was amazing to cover it. It was great to watch him go out and dominate every night it was great to watch that sinker like power sinker falling off a cliff and watching that that curveball which is still pretty good now by the way uh you know flipping up for strikes burying it for swing and miss you know the ground balls like it was all great and it was great to see him even in 2015 coming out of the bullpen for the blue jays like people forget about that like that was a big part of it too barack obama was president at that point right it's a while ago we're coming up on another presidential election it's been a while since Aaron Sanchez was that good. It's been a while since he was healthy. And I understand the thought process that, oh, if this guy could only get healthy, he could be that guy again. But there is a big body of evidence this season where Aaron Sanchez has been healthy to make every start. And the underlying numbers are not pretty. Even in his most recent outing, he strikes out 10 against Tampa Bay Rays, strikes out the first six he faces, had his lowest average velocity of any start this season. In that outing, the drop on his sinker was like an inch less than his season average and nearly two inches less than where he was in 2016. And teams are looking at that. 
teams don't scout the results anymore. Like they don't scout, you know, the fact that you have 10 Ks or the fact that you got through, you know, six innings. Like they scout, how are you maintaining your velocity over the start? What are you looking like? How are your pitches moving? Uh, and is this going to be effective going forward? And I think that just unfortunately for Aaron Sanchez and the Blue Jays, it doesn't look pretty when you look at some of those stats. Yeah, and I think when you look at it objectively, it's not a surprise that other teams were valuing Sanchez as a reliever. If you look at the OPS times through the order, first time through, he allows a 643. After that, it goes up to 947, 987. So basically, the second and third time through the order, Sanchez just is not effective. And teams are aware of that. So it's not a surprise that he would have limited trade value because he's now at a point where his salary, I think he's making $3.9 million 3. this 9. year. So you could expect him to go up to like five, five and right. a half in arbitration? Easily. And then at that case, how much surplus value is there, right? Compared to what he would make as a free agent. That's the cold calculus the teams are doing that I think the Toronto Blue Jays did with Aaron Sanchez. Is they said, okay, so say your future is as a reliever, right? Uh, say your future is like Daniel Hudson is a really good outcome for you because that is like a late inning reliever who has an ERA around three and has been very effective for the Blue Jays, has flashed 96 mile per hour stuff, right? So say that's your like as good as you could perhaps be. And we're going to be paying you five and a half million dollars to do that, which is going to make you a less attractive asset to other teams. And what did we get for Daniel Hudson at the trade deadline? You know, a 24-year-old fringy prospect type, right? Who, like, maybe Carson Sestouli saw something, right. you know? Like, right? Like, yeah, this guy could turn around. But this isn't, like, an 18-, 19-year-old high upside projectable dude. Like, you are getting, like, somebody else's, you know, 35 to 40 future value prospect. Like, 40, like, optimistically. Like, that would be great, you know? Yeah. So if that's what you can expect to get back for Aaron Sanchez in the best-case scenario... You trade him now as part of a package to get a player that you actually like and a player with big tools. I know it's hard for fans to appreciate that because they like Aaron Sanchez. We like Aaron Sanchez. I had great conversations with Aaron Sanchez when he was here. I like him as a person, but the cold business of baseball is relentless. Yeah. It's uncompromising. Other teams, look, the Blue Jays discussed one for one trades with Aaron Sanchez at this deadline. There was nothing out there. There was no play to be made. And so that obviously has to factor into any discussion that we're having about Sanchez and what they get back for him. I think the perception exists out there that the best case scenario for Sanchez is not Daniel Hudson and that there's some world where he very soon becomes a top of the rotation starter again. And I think what you're saying, and I would agree if you're saying this, but it seems as though you're saying that you don't see that happening. 30 plus months of yeah. it not happening. So. I, and I hope it happens. Like, I hope he goes to Houston and shoves. Like, I really do. Like, I hope Houston sprinkles that magic pixie dust over him that they put, you know, Justin Verlander in his mid 30s, who appeared to be like on a downward plane, all of a sudden is an all star again, a Cy Young candidate again, right? Like, Garrett Cole, who like was a fine pitcher with Pittsburgh before he came over, but didn't really strike out a ton of guys, now leads MLB in K per nine oh, yeah. all of a sudden since going to Houston. Wade Miley. Wade Miley is good in Houston, so I hope that they take Aaron Sanchez and find a way to make him good again and make him a frontline starter again. I hope he proves a lot of people wrong because there are a lot of people in MLB front offices who doubt that he's going to do that. Well, yeah, exactly. And I talked to one of them yesterday and I, I made a comment to the effect of, 
I think that Sanchez is going to do better in Houston than he did in Toronto. And he was like, yeah, I think that will be the case. And so that's the perception that the Astros have. But Sanchez is a test, right? Like, you're not talking about Justin Verlander here or Garrett (laughs) Cole. Sanchez has taken a step back, um, significant step back, to the point that his ERA is over six. I mean, that's including the really good starts that he has had. So this is no easy project for the Astros. I do think that he'll be better. I think, look, like, it doesn't take much to make Aaron Sanchez better. All you do is you say, okay, you're not going to be starting anymore. All of a sudden, he's going to look great or at least a lot better, because that's where so many of his problems arise. I don't know that there's data to support that like pitching out of the bullpen means that you're not going to have finger issues anymore, you know, or that you're not going to have hand issues anymore, right? Like, I hope that, you know, and also Aaron Sanchez needs to buy in to being a reliever. True. And that's something that he's not willing to do right now. It certainly wasn't with the Blue Jays at any point. Uh, Those discussions were never... I don't never think it, got anywhere. I don't think it's something his agent wants him to do. It's not. And if he believes that he can, again, be the type of starter with the effectiveness to lead the American League in ERA, as he did in 2016, then go on as a starter. Sure. Right? Like, make it happen. But right now, you actually have the worst ERA in yeah. the American League of all qualified starters. So there's a long way to go. Now, the Blue Jays don't make the Derek Fisher trade without... Aaron Sanchez in it. So clearly the Houston Astros value him. They had to package Aaron Sanchez with Joe Biagini and a prospect, Cal Stevenson. And as this was playing out, like I will be honest, like my initial reaction was what? (laughs) It's like, wait, that looks lopsided. Like that looks like a high price to pay for Derek Fisher. And I am willing to hear the argument that the Blue Jays could have played poker a bit longer and maybe could have gotten it done for just Joe Biagini and Aaron Sanchez. For Derek Fisher, it might have looked better then if you weren't throwing in Cal Stevenson. Although you talk to people around the game and it's, you know, Cal Stevenson's like best outcome is maybe fourth outfielder. But he's shown some good things, right? Like good walk rate, good contact, great makeup. Like people love him as a guy. So I heard the words org filler thrown around. So I don't think the Blue Jays fans should shed too many tears right now over Cal Stevenson. No, I just, I still don't love giving up on a guy who has a lot of the things that you look for and a lot of things that suggest that he could take leaps, right? Like in acquiring, you know, Derek Fisher, the Blue Jays saying this guy's going to take a leap. Like this guy's going to take a jump from where he's been at the big league level. I think like that's the bet you're making is right. The, right. So you would make the same bet on Cal Stevenson that like this is a guy who like, wow, right now, a lot of people believe is going to be a future fourth outfielder org filler guy. Like he could take steps and he could take jumps. But that's what it took to get Derek Fisher. The Blue Jays like him. And I'm not going to begrudge anybody who says, oh, hey, it's left handed hitting to Oscar Hernandez. And you know what? We already have the right-handed hitting Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, and we already have Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who is going to play left field every day because he has looked great there. And we already have Randall Grichuk signed to an extension who's going to have to play right field every day. And then we also have this guy, Billy McKinney, who you got for Jay Happ, who you'd think you feel good about. Uh, I don't know how he fits into this outfield mix anymore. I understand the argument that Derek Fisher is a redundancy and has had the career to this point that suggests he may be a quad A outfielder. The Blue Jays obviously feel differently than that. They obviously do. And I think that there's no guarantee of that happening because there are reasons to doubt Derek Fisher and what he brings. I don't think that there's a lot of certainty here. And that ties into what the Blue Jays gave up. Because if you're giving up Aaron Sanchez, Joe Biagini, and then kind of a non-prospect, then we're kind of covering, okay, Sanchez has an area over six, 
and his stuff isn't the same as it was in 2016. So you got a diminished asset there. Then you've got Joe Biagini, who's kind of an extra reliever. Pretty good. Some control, but nothing too, too special. Sidebar, there. I hope the Houston Astros turn him into something too. <laughs> I, ho- I want to see Joe Biagini lights out reliever with that you know, Houston Astros magic juice that they're giving their pitchers. That would be kind of fun. Anyway, yeah. continue. So yeah, so you got a couple of guys there that have limited value and then Stevenson. So the Jays weren't giving up a ton of value they objectively, really right? Go ahead. So but, then it makes sense yeah. under those circumstances that you're not going to get back a huge amount of value. And Derek Fisher is not an overwhelming return. Like this is not compared to, you know, what they got back for Stroman. This is way, way, way less. I mean, the Simeon Woods Richardson alone would be way more valuable than Derek Fisher. Yes. Um, even though he once had that top prospect pedigree, it's gone. We are not talking about him as if he's a top prospect. But there are reasons to be intrigued by him as well. Just the fact that he he's now hitting 286 with an OPS above 900 and 14 home runs at AAA. He legitimately has power and speed um, from what I've been told. So those are some skills that you can work with. But there's still skepticism as to whether he can be an everyday guy. And he's out of options next spring. So he's probably breaking camp with the team as an outfielder. Given that they traded Sanchez and Biagini for him, I think it's safe to say he'll break with the team and see what happens next year. But I wouldn't be that surprised if a year from now it's the same Billy McKinney discussion we're we're having and we're kind of like, huh, there wasn't a lot there. (laughs) Well, he's not just breaking camp with the team next year. Like He's going to Baltimore. Like He's playing the rest of the season with the Blue Jays. Like he is right. coming to this team right now. Right. And it is going to be the most unfairly scrutinized two months that a ball player has ever played. Like, God help the guy if he goes 0 for 4 with three punches in his first game. The vitriol, the reaction, right? And look, there's going to be an adjustment period. He's going to a new organization, right? And it's a guy who's already had struggles at the big league level. And, you know, that's why he's got that quad A label because he has crushed triple A. PCL, but look, he's crushed AAA and it hasn't transferred in MLB. Is some of that, well, the stage is grander now. Is some of that, you know, the pitchers are better, right? And he, he's not up to this level of competition. The Blue Jays are going to find out. He's got tools, man. He's fast as hell. The Blue Jays believe he can be a better defensive center fielder, I think, than Teoscar Hernandez. You read a lot of the reports about him. I know you talk to people about him. Sounds like he lacks a bit of refinement defensively and lacks a bit of feel. Sounds a lot like Teoscar Hernandez to me, but it sounds like he just kind of, you know, getting, you know, the instincts and, you know, the jumps and the routes and all the things that it takes to get the most out of that speed and those tools, it sounds like he doesn't have. At the plate, he has at least shown more discipline than Teoscar Hernandez has. He struck out a lot too, but he has at least shown, you know, a higher OBP potential than Teoscar Hernandez has. So I understand it. And you didn't give up a whole lot. Aaron Sanchez was going to go. Joe Biagini, like, you know, I don't know. Nobody's really crying over losing Joe Biagini. Like, apologies to him. He's a fine major leaguer. But he was a Rule 5 pick that you turned into an asset. Cal Stevenson, you know, as we said, fourth outfield award guy type at this point. You can give up a whole lot. But it does feel a little redundant. But I think the Blue Jays would just argue, hey, we're building out as much depth as we can. And if Billy McKinney is our fifth outfielder waiting at AAA along with Anthony Alford, like we're in a pretty good spot. I guess so. It kind of, you need Fisher to be good in this yeah. for that to play out True. Um, the way you want it to. Otherwise, you've given up some assets. And I agree, they didn't really give up a ton. And that's kind of the point that probably gets lost in this. But 
if what you end up with from all of this is an out of options fourth outfielder, then that's not great. It doesn't help your flexibility. It doesn't necessarily help your win loss total all that much. So I kind of think that Fisher has to prove himself as a capable everyday player for this trade to really be a big win for the Blue Jays. If he's a fourth outfielder, then I don't really get the point yeah. of it. You know, to trade even just be a genie for a fourth outfielder. I mean, fourth outfielders aren't that hard to find. Like you can find a fourth outfielder in free agency for four million bucks, right? Yeah. So you kind of hope that there's some chance that he's better, that he's actually an everyday guy. And clearly there's some chance because people with other organizations that I heard from said that there's some discussion as to, hey, maybe he can be an everyday guy. But if that chance is, you know, more than 25%, Maybe the Jays have something here. I don't, I don't know. But initially, it's not overwhelming. Let me put it to you this way. If Derek Fisher became like a two-win outfielder, is that a good result? 100%. Like, that's a really yes. good result. Absolutely, yeah. So, like, and it kind of gets at kind of the overall problem with a lot of what the Blue Jays are doing right now. So they're adding a lot of guys that could be two-win players. Right. And it's like, if they do become two-win players, it's, oh, that's a success in terms yeah. of the talent that you identified in other organizations, your ability to bring them in, help develop them, you know, get them to fulfill their potential. That's great. But to win championships, you need five to seven win players. That's what you need. You need Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette to fulfill their potential as five to seven win players. Nate Pearson as well. You need to nail your draft pick next June when you're going to have a top five selection, which is where you can generally acquire that type of high upside talent. Like outside of Simeon Woods Richardson, who is like, we'll see, right? Like he's 18 years old. We'll see. The Blue Jays didn't add anyone at this deadline that anybody is saying, oh, that guy could be like an all-star really, really big contributor to a championship team. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I have the entire hall right here, so we'll go through it. Sure. Eric Sogard, two players to be named. I think we can safely say those players to be named don't have five win upside. Then you got Anthony Kay, got lit up in his first start at AAA, probably more of a depth guy from what it seems, maybe two or three win upside. High upside, like, you know, he's your three or four starter. Yeah. The innings leading guy. In a good case. Yeah. Then Woods Richardson, like you said, he probably has upside to be a star. Yeah, so that's the one. Thomas Hatch, they got for David Phelps. Kyle Johnston, they got for Daniel Hudson. Both guys in the upper minors, already in their you know early mid-20s. I mean, I think if, if those guys end up being one or two win pitchers for the Jays, you're probably happy. Yeah. And then you end up with Fisher, who, as we're saying, if he's a two-win guy, you're, you're really happy. If he's a one-win rosterable bench player, you probably take that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not getting a ton there. I, like... I think it's worth illustrating that point. I think also, like, you do need one and two win players. The Astros and Dodgers totally. are filled with guys like that. Like, yeah. you, you need guys like that, but it's not enough. No, dude, like, do 25 two win players get it done for you, or do 25 two win players win you 50 games? I think that would be an amazing team, right? <laughs> I, I actually think if you had 25 two win players, that would be like a 100 win team. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a question. So for then maybe podcast. the Blue Jays have built that. I don't know, right? Like, I think that's, but I think that's their path. And I yeah. think, because if someone's done the math on this, I think if you have a replacement level team, I think it's like 49 wins. Oh, yeah. So then if you add 50 on top of oh, that, yeah. you're at 99 yeah, wins. Yeah, 99 wins. Yeah. You take 99 wins. You, exactly. So, right, I so think, maybe the Blue Jays are geniuses and they're onto something. I think that's how they're trying to build their championship <laughs> team, though, is yeah. with 25 one or two win players and then Vlad and Bo and Pearson. 
I think what they're doing is a volume game. And yeah. I think what they're doing is a percentages play in that, you know, you hear us Atkins talk a lot about we are going to need to have some good stories, right? right? And other organizations have had good stories. Really, every year you have a great story. And, and some of the better pitchers in baseball, it's not just, you know, the Verlanders and the Scherzers. There's the DeGroms and the Klubers that, you know, weren't the first round pick. They weren't the guys that everyone were, was counting on to turn the organization around. We're going to have those stories. In addition to that, we have Nate Pearson and Patrick Murphy and now Simeon Woods Richardson. So a good story is that like Derek Fisher like broke out with the Blue Jays and became a five win guy. Or it's that or like three win guy. Yeah, you know, Gen Z Diaz, who like, you know, is kind of like, we'll see what he could be. Uh gets to the major leagues and he's a ground ball machine, right? And like he's, you know, leading the American League in ERA and he has Aaron Sanchez's 2016. Like those are like the good stories, and you have a higher percentage chance of having those good stories you know the more prospect volume that you have the more depth that you have like it it makes sense i think as a fan you wish your team had more certainty you know you or at least you wish your 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 team had more players that people are saying you know oh this guy could be like special this guy could be five to six win player obviously those are the most coveted assets in the game and you know teams don't give them away look at this trade deadline right like how many front line like the astros did all that work and they didn't give up forrest whitley or kyle tucker right they had a hall of fame pitcher man like and they didn't have to give up their two guys that people in the game say oh these guys could be special so you need those stories to happen and in Toronto, we've seen those stories happen. Josh Donaldson was a quad A player, didn't break out in Toronto, but he was a quad A player at one time. Jose Bautista came over in a minor deal. Edwin Encarnacion at one point was DFA'd by this franchise. So like we've seen those stories happen, but for the Blue Jays to be competitive, they're gonna need those stories to be happen. Otherwise, they're gonna be in a position where they are going to need to package some of their prospects to trade for actual win now like big talent MLB players or they're gonna have to go into free agency and pay a price and a term that I am sure they are uncomfortable with when it comes to pitching I don't see them signing big free agent pitchers so I think that it would have to be a trade or development and you see you know Atkins point to stories like Clevenger in Cleveland or obviously Bieber you look at Kluber kind of coming out of nowhere after being traded for Jake Westbrook so that happened there Atkins and Shapiro clearly believe that it can and will happen here. I think it's also entirely reasonable for fans not to give them the benefit of the doubt until they see it happen, because you can't just assume that it's going to happen. And right now we're at a point where the Blue Jays are on pace for 100 lost seasons. So if a Blue Jays fan doesn't choose to believe that this is necessarily coming, I think that's reasonable. But, you know, Atkins saying pretty consistently that he thinks that will happen in the next couple of years we'll know if that prediction comes true at the letters is brought to you by the all-new 2019 ford ranger with best-in-class gas payload and towing you carry gear and lots of it. The new 2019 Ford Ranger has these big advantages over other gas-powered pickups. Best in class, maximum 1,650-pound payload and 7,500-pound tow ratings. Need to haul more, tow more? Head out to your next adventure in the all-new Ranger. The Blue Jays did not trade Ken Giles. What a smooth transition that was. (laughs) 
Ken Giles did not get traded by the Blue Jays. Were you surprised? Yeah. I was surprised. And I think the Blue Jays came very close to trading Ken Giles. I think they were negotiating with multiple teams within the final minutes before the deadline. I think the New York Yankees were one of those teams. I think Cleveland was also involved in that. Uh, for some reason, the trade did not get to the finish line. But I think teams were able to look past the elbow issues and that the Blue Jays had very active discussions on Ken Giles right up to the deadline, but they did not move him. Interesting stuff. And I think we can debate the Sanchez return or the Strowman return, but you can't really debate that not moving Giles missed opportunity for this team. Yes. Because this was their best chance to get value for someone who's now under team control for two pennant races. When they do trade them, they're only going to be trading one. And historically, teams have gotten a lot for relievers at deadline because of that very reason that you can use them in the postseason and you're really selling those two pennant races. So I think they missed an opportunity here. I understand why. I mean, he's hurt, clearly. He yeah. has not been healthy in the month of July, got an MRI, didn't pitch the last couple of days before the deadline. So, of course, he was not going to return full value, but that is a loss for the Jays because now they're going to get less when they ultimately deal Giles. And my sense is that the Blue Jays are very open with teams when it came to, you know, sharing information and like just what's going on with Ken Giles and the fact that they were still having active discussions about him like that close to the deadline, I think indicates that teams were like, okay, it's nothing too major with him, right? Like it's nothing too serious. Like it's, you know, a little rest. Cortisone gets the inflammation out of there. Like, we're fine with him. And he had the MRI, which, uh, you know, returned nothing structural. So I think that the injury trouble and his lack of availability over the last month, I mean, it's going to be, you know, we're at a point now where he's pitched four times in the last four weeks, right? Like, it's not enough. And a couple of times that he pitched, he didn't really look like himself. So I think that did hurt the Blue Jays, but I am still surprised they didn't get something done, particularly because, like, I think they take a pretty serious value hit in holding on to him until the off season and trading him in the winter. I think he'll still be he he's he'll still be able to bring you back something good, especially if he has a, a fine, you know, final two months here. And maybe it's next deadline, right? Like maybe maybe the elbow stuff continues and he doesn't have a great final two months. And the Blue Jays are, you know, keeping through the winter and he's their closer for the first, you know, three or four months of twenty twenty and they trade him at that deadline. You know, really a team that would be acquiring him, a contender that would be acquiring him, is acquiring him to pitch in the playoffs. So the value drop from, you know, winter to next deadline, I wonder how much it would be, but right. I do think there is a big value drop from now to winter. Exactly. That's where that's a clear loss for the Jays. And sometimes this just happens. Injuries aren't predictable. Obviously, we saw it with uh, Josh Donaldson. You could argue they should have traded him in the winter after the 2017 season, as opposed to in the midst of the 2018 season. That's a whole other story. But yeah, I think that with Giles, there's just no debating it. This is a loss. This is a missed opportunity. Instead of getting potentially some really good prospects back, they have nothing except for a reliever who's hurt. Bougies also didn't trade Freddie Galvis or Justin Smoke. I thought one of those two guys would go. Uh, but it's my understanding that the Blue Jays never even got a firm offer for either of those guys. I think those were both fallbacks for a lot of teams, like Justin Smoke in particular, because, and you were on it, like the market and the buzz around him really picked up about 24 hours prior to the deadline. Interested to know if you agree with me on this or not. I think a lot of teams like use the uh, possibility of acquiring Justin Smoke as leverage. Like if you're the Tampa Bay Rays and you're looking at Jesus Aguilar, right? Like, you know, you went to Milwaukee and said, hey, like we've got this Justin Smoke fallback that we are totally willing to do for much less. So 
let's talk about this, right? Like the Bauer, like Cleveland gets uh, Reyes in that trade. Like, I don't know if that's kind of a DH and they get Puig too. So they help themselves offensively. Right. So maybe that was a fit too. So maybe that's why you heard Cleveland's name, like start to come up in Justin Smoke rumors. Like, I just think that, you know, for a lot of teams, it was, if we can't get the price we want on this better bat that we're trying to acquire, we'll fall back and take Justin Smoke. But at the end of the day, I don't think the Blue Jays ever had anything like legitimate on the table for either of those guys. Well, I think if they did, they probably would have taken it. And shortstops really didn't move at the deadline. No. You know? Contenders didn't need a shortstop. And for whatever reason, like teams weren't that concerned about the possibility of their shortstop getting hurt over the next couple months, right? Yeah. You can't make those August trades anymore. That's why I thought Freddie Galvis would go because I thought somebody would take him and stash him on their bench and be like, hey, you know, in case of emergency, uh, I can break the glass around him and he can be my everyday shortstop. And until then, he can kind of fill in at some different positions and play a utility role. Didn't happen. Yeah. And you wonder if some team might end up looking back and saying, man, we really could have used Freddie Galvis because he is a useful player. But yeah, to your point on those guys, I don't think that the Blue Jays had really strong offers in hand because they would have taken them for Mm -hmm. sure. But probably Smoke was more of a consideration than he was a top priority based on, you know, how things unfolded. Same logic applies in Philly where the Phillies ended up getting Corey Dickerson. They were linked to Smoke as well, had some interest. So I think that the Yankees would have been a fit on paper. It just never ended up happening. Luke Voigt with uh, his injuries sent him to the injured list, but they're going to try to piece it together without him. So yeah, it was a little surprising. I thought one of those guys would move of the two and ultimately they're both in Toronto. Here's my pitch when it comes to Justin Smoke. Extend them. One more year, baby. One more year. Really? One more year. Six million bucks out of club option on there with the buyout or do you know whatever you want to do right like it's i think justin smoke would take a very reasonable salary he's making eight million dollars this year i don't know if it would take another eight to get him you might have to wait until free agency until he goes out to the market and sees like i'm not getting that right so maybe you don't extend him maybe it's more of signing him as a free agent bring him back next year it's a fine hitter switch hitter good defender good in the clubhouse need adults in the room like i don't think the blue jays are you know necessarily dispirited that they keep you know the freddie galvis presence around in the clubhouse or the justin smoke presence on what is now a very young team unless you want to give rowdy tellez like everyday reps next season unless you believe that there's like a breakout coming there i would bring back justin smoke on a cheap one-year deal and hey if he has a great first three four months you can trade him at the deadline you hope or even sooner. I mean, we saw the Jays start to move veterans pretty early this year, dating back to, you know, Pilar, Morales, and yeah. they're always willing to move guys. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. Smoke's obviously a great guy to have around, and they like having Smoke around. And Telez, his recent hot streak at AAA notwithstanding, hasn't had a great year. So it's not like he has shown himself to be this first baseman of the future. So I'd be open to the idea, but I'd also want to see what else is out there as far as just power bats in general. And see what you can do with that DH first base combination. Maybe there's uh, an opportunity there to add someone a little younger with a bit more upside than Smoke, who's now 33. But, you know, failing that, certainly nothing wrong with having Smoke around. You know what Shy wants him to do, right? Eddie. Yeah. yeah. He wants Eddie to come back. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. younger. <laughs> Not younger. But Eddie's mashing. I think that Encarnacion has the most home runs out of anyone this decade. Yeah. Which is crazy. He's like putting together, and he's not there yet, but he's putting together a sneaky Hall of Fame case. Right. Like if he continues this for another couple seasons, like he, you're going to be able to, I think, make a case that like he is a borderline Hall of Famer. Well, to lead baseball and home runs for a decade, like yeah. that's 
Like, who led baseball in home runs in the 80s or the 70s? That's what yeah. Encarnacion is doing right now for the 2010s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of adults in the room and speaking of how young the Blue Jays are, Boba Shetts a Toronto Blue Jay. Criminally overshadowed, uh, in my opinion, over the last few days because of, obviously, the trade deadline and everything that has happened. Boba Shett is a Toronto Blue Jay, and Boba Shett's raking, like had a yeah. great first series, hit a massive home run, like a bunch of hits. The 0-1, bounding ball towards the hole, past the dive of Dozier, and into left field. And in his first Major League plate appearance, Boba Shett has his first Major League hit. Jacob Junis, and his first pitch is ripped inside the third base bag by Boba Shett. He's got a leadoff double as he digs for second base with his first extra base hit in the Major Leagues. The 2-1 pitch. Ground ball past the right side of the mound. Scooting into center field, a base hit. A three-hit day for Bo Bichette. 2-1. Blue Jays lead the Royals. Jacob Junis back out, and Bo Bichette gets into one. It's a deep to left center field, and there it is. Bo Bichette with his first home run in the major leagues. A no-doubter to deep left center. Fun player. Everything that I've been saying about him since he was drafted. Of People are going to love this guy. He is fun to watch. He's exciting. He's the type of player that like you want on your team as a fan. Is coming true. I'm right again. As, as, as usual. As it was about Lourdes. Uh, I'm right again. But look, Bo Bichette is here and nobody's really talking about it. This is a top 10 prospect in baseball who the Blue Jays just added. Like a guy who could be one of those like you know three to five to six win players that we were talking about earlier yeah they hope it's closer to six than three <laughs> um no pressure Bo. but yeah he's been off to a great start i think that watching him is a lot of fun and hopefully for his sake the hot start can just ease a little bit of pressure i mean i think for vladdy getting a double in his first game was big it's just nice for those guys to get some success early on and build from there. So it's fun watching Bichette. This lineup has gotten a lot more fun in the last few months. He's going to struggle at some point. Like there's going to be a slump. Like he just, even just with the way that he swings and his approach, like it's going to happen, right? Like Vladdy went through it. Like Kevin Biggio went through it. You know, Bose is going to go through it. But you're right that like when you're watching a Blue Jays game right now and it's like, here's Bo Bichette leadoff hitter and then like here's Kevin Biggio in the two hole and here's Vladdy hitting third and here's Lourdes hitting fourth or whatever like configuration of those four guys. Like that's a run of hitters that I think as a fan is fun to watch. Of course, there's a lot to dream on there. And in Bo's case and Vladdy's case, they're hitting right now. Vlad had a, quite a good month of July. Bo hitting right away. So it's not like they're even going through those learning curves right now. I mean, they are, but they're still succeeding. Are we also overlooking the uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. breakout? Is that what you're saying? Well, I keep expecting it. Like every <laughs> every at-bat that I watch Vlad, I keep expecting this to be the breakout. And hasn't necessarily happened, but it's also not not happening. He's been really good since the All-Star break. Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the entire MLB postseason and entire World Series, over 500 NHL games, Raptors and NBA, and much more, all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. Get the best bang for your buck with the sports streaming subscription that gets you the most content. Visit snnow.ca for more details.
So let's end by taking the temperature a little bit of uh, how people feel towards this Blue Jays front office because they were unpopular seven days ago. And I feel like, you know, maybe we're just kind of in the pressure cooker of the trade deadline, but I feel like they are more unpopular now after the trades that they made and the perceived like light returns. And actually I think the return for Strowman was light like a distinction there to be made, whereas you were selling Strowman and you were buying Fisher, right? And I think they paid a little too much for Fisher, and I think they got a little too, not enough back for Strowman. So that's fine, but there's a lot of vitriol out there. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like when, you know, what you were saying last time about Dalton Pompey. And you were like, why are people so pissed off about, about this guy? And you were right. He and by the way, through. every other team in baseball decides, oh yeah, Dalton Pompey not worth a roster spot. Yeah. So, I mean, that one, clearly, the vitriol was totally misplaced. I think it's different in this case. How so? Well, first of all, the vitriol is probably on a larger scale, even though people were pretty pissed about Pompey. But there is so much rage, even just, and then this is, there's selection bias here, but my Twitter mentions were particularly fiery last night. Oh, Saw dear. a lot of dumpsters, a lot of flaming tires, a lot of, you know, like <laughs> references to shows that I haven't watched and people are just like sending me these memes. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. Glad you guys do. But, um, but yeah, there's all kinds of reaction. And I think in this case, like you said, the return for Stroman was not on the surface overwhelming. Just looking at the fan graphs rankings of the, of the top prospects traded, Simeon Woods Richardson ranked ninth, I believe, on that list yeah. of the prospects traded at the deadline. Blue Jays like him. You know, they're making a bet on him. That's their prerogative, right, as a front office to make a choice on someone who's outside of the consensus ranking. Now they have to be right about it, you know, because on the surface of it, if you're trading a really good pitcher with a year and a half of control, there's a lot of value there. You should get something good back. It's not clear that they came away as winners in the Stroman trade. And then I, I think in rethinking the Sanchez trade a little bit, my initial reaction was, man, they got to get something substantial back here if you're trading Biagini and Sanchez. Now that I look at it, probably you're overselling Sanchez yeah. to think that you're getting a huge amount back. But it's not like Fisher's that good. I feel better and better about that trade the more I think about sure. it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like the more like in the moment, like I think I fell victim to what like a lot of Blue Jays fans were like, yeah. wait, like, what? like what? Yeah. <laughs> that like, much? That's you know? it? Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's it, you know? And like, and even as like details were emerging about it, it was, oh, there's more pieces in it. Right. Yeah. So then you went through the, okay, like it's not just Derek Fisher. Yeah. And then it was, no, it's just Derek Fisher. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I saw the, <laughs> this reminds me because I, I was at Rogers Center uh, with yeah. Rash, yeah. uh, Madani doing like TV during the deadline line right so and we're just kind of you know we're on our phones and we're following stuff happening and they got the big tv there and it was on sports next they're showing the game yeah. and then i saw you yeah. and i was like oh hey it's ben on tim and sid yeah and i looked down and they had a poll at the bottom yeah and it was like did the blue jays do well at this deadline yeah. and it was like yes no maybe too early to say yeah. and no was like 94 <laughs> percent wow <laughs> it was like through the it was just this big red bar it's like no like we hate this <laughs> Uh, and as you said, you know, through Twitter and through a lot of means that like, you can see that there's a lot of that out there. I don't think that's the whole fan base. I think there's a lot of the fan base that is like, 
okay, we trust that, you know, the Blue Jays internal valuations of players and the way they judge them differ from industry rankings. The Blue Jays have their own top 100 that's right. different than Baseball America's and different from Fangraphs. They have their own projection models. They're different than, you know, Zips and whatever. They have their own way of calculating wins above replacement, how much a guy is worth to a franchise, incoming seasons versus what he's going to cost and years of control, which we can get into and like all that kind of stuff. Like I think there are fans like that, but I probably would bet the majority of them do not like this front office right now, are not happy with the direction of the franchise and are really displeased with how things played out over the last seven days. I agree with you for sure. And one thing that I would have liked to hear from Ross Atkins or someone with the Blue Jays would be, hey, Simeon Woods Richardson, for example, Mm -hmm. we internally value him as one of the top 100 or one of the top 50 in baseball just to give us an indication of where they have him. I'm, right. I'm not asking for proprietary information on, you know, exactly where he fits or, oh, we had him 18th and the Reds wanted this and the Mets wanted that. I think it makes more sense to keep that information private, obviously. But I just, as an observer of the team, and I think maybe fans would benefit from this information too, where did you have Simeon Woods Richardson? Yeah. We're now in an era where fans are so tuned in to prospect values and years of control and all this stuff. But give us a little precision here. It would be, I think, publicly, it would be really interesting to know where the Blue Jays ranked these guys. Or maybe it's Anthony Kay. And they ranked two of the pitchers that they got back for Stroman as top 100 guys. And okay, that's your internal valuation. That would be interesting to know. Now, they're choosing not to share that, but I would have found that interesting. Is there any possibility that they are hurt in future negotiations by, uh, you know, admitting that publicly? Of course. Yeah. So that's probably why they don't. I think you're right. Yeah, And maybe it's a... We're fighting uphill on this one to ask for information that they gain some benefit. But I also think that... If you never share anything with your fan base, yeah. then you know there's a fine line there. So they're obviously walking it as every front office does. So I'm of both minds on this because a lot of the criticism that you see of the Blue Jays front office is like, what are they even doing? Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand what they're doing. Well, they've been very clear and frank about what they're doing. Yeah. And we've been talking about it this entire podcast, right? Like we are taking a step back from contention and we are not winning right now. So any players who are win now players... Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Josh Donaldson, et cetera, are going to leave for players who will be pieces of winning teams in the future. And we are going to accrue as much prospect capital as we can, and we are going to build as much depth as we can and try to have as many years of control and as much financial flexibility as possible. We're going to build up our farm system, have waves of talent coming through. Um, We're going to try to find success stories. And then in future years, when we are ready to contend again, and when this thing is turning around, we are going to spend money whether that is through free agency or if we have to, you know, if Vlad gets really expensive in arbitration, we are going to probably trade some prospects for other teams' players. Like, the Blue Jays have, like, have said all this stuff, and they are doing it. Like, so it's very obvious what they're doing. And mm-hmm. You don't have to agree with what they're doing. Yeah. I would push back against the criticism that they don't know what they're doing or that they haven't been clear about what they're doing. At the same time... The way they message what they're doing, it reminds people of when they are like they've been like on hold for two hours with United Airlines. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, we really, you know, value you as a customer. Right. And we, you know, it's like, you know, two hours in here, like mechanical problems. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. You yeah. know, like, or what I've been sitting on the tarmac or, yeah. you know, like it kind of it's a little too like 
glossy like it's yeah. right and so when ross atkins comes out and says like we turn this many years of control into 42 years of control like people are like what does that mean like what are you talking about yeah. of course it just means like x amount of prospects times six years service time or whatever right and this is how by the way all mlb front offices operate of course it's not just the blue jays all of them do i wish i could present a solution I probably wouldn't be a sports writer if I was, you know, really good at messaging for, you know, Google or whatever, right? But I, I do think that it's tough for fans sometimes to understand that messaging. It definitely is because fans want to see this team winning and they want, obviously, they have bonds with players like Stroman and Sanchez. And so, as they should. Yeah, of course, of course. So there are a couple things going on. There's the loss of these guys, Stroman and Sanchez. There's the loss of any possibility that Sanchez turns it around in a Blue Jays uniform. So that's not happening anymore. Even Biagini, to a lesser extent. These are guys who have been around for a long time. The team starts to feel less and less recognizable in a sense because who is Jacob Waggis back on the mound? Like you start, you know, there's not the same bond that fans have with the players. And then... When the return coming back is not objectively number 10 on Pipeline and number 15 on Baseball America and number 20 on Fangraphs, if they're outside of those publicly available rankings, then I think it's only fair for fans to expect, well, if I'm not going to buy in based on the rankings, then tell me what it is. Right. Like Fans would be open to that. If, if Atkins came out and said, you know what, we rank Simeon Woods Richardson as the number is a top 50 prospect in all of baseball, and I think he has the potential to be an ace within four years— Maybe it's unfair to Woods Richardson, and maybe Atkins doesn't want to put those expectations <laughs> on this trade. Yeah. But as a fan, fans would get more excited if they heard that. And, and like, I'm here for an argument that across baseball, like a broader argument that across baseball teams aren't doing enough to win now. Like, I'm here for like shame on the New York Yankees for not doing more of the deadline or the Red Sox. Shame on the, the Boston Come Red on. Sox for not building a bullpen. Shame on the Minnesota Twins for not doing more at the deadline. I'm here for that. And I'm here even for like an argument that the way that front offices like bloodthirsty for like incremental value and the way that they talk about players as assets and they talk about years of control is dehumanizing. Right. And is like, yeah, you can like run these things like IBM or Apple or whatever, but it's still grown men in pajamas chasing a ball around a field. Yeah, like it's still a sport and it's still going to be fun. And as a fan, I want to go to the ballpark and watch a good product and watch a team that's entertaining because it is an entertainment product. And hey, Toronto, yours isn't entertaining right now and isn't winning. Like I'm here for that argument. Yes, totally. That like it has gone too far and there's no look the toothpaste out of the tube right like it's not going back in like this is how front offices run they're all analytically minded right like they're all dealing with like projection models and stats and analysis that is beyond what is publicly available to us and so a lot of it's like you take this leap of faith where you just like your analysis suggests that Simeon Woods Richardson is going to be really good in four years uh okay but the objective publicly available industry rankings suggest otherwise and maybe in that sense it's an opportunity because you know ultimately whoever you're acquiring you're kind of the high bidder for yeah so if no one else values him and you can get him and you really believe that he's going to take off maybe that's an opportunity it's just to have your fans believe that you have to earn their trust and that hasn't happened and i will say like the blue jays are now on record of like making these trades these trades are on the record right so in we're going to find out about Derek fisher pretty quickly 
Like within you know two three years, I mean the guy's about to turn twenty six. So in like two three years, he's gonna be twenty eight twenty nine, and we're gonna be able to say, okay, the Blue Jays were right or they were wrong about him. Yeah, you know. And with Simeon Woods Richardson, when it's whenever you know when he's twenty four and twenty five, and like it's hard because that's five or six years down the road. But we're gonna be able to say the Blue Jays were right or wrong about him, about all these players, about Bo Bichette. About Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, well, not so much Vladdy. Vladdy was the the you know previous regime, but right. uh, you know about Kevin Biggio, about Pearson. yeah, about Pardino, about um, or Elvis Martinez, like about all these players. We're gonna be able to say like the Blue Jays were right or wrong, yeah, and they did not get enough for Marcus Stroman, or wow, they actually got a lot more for Sanchez and Biagini than they ever should have, right? We can't say that now. And you're such prisoners of the moment, like when you know you're trying to analyze this stuff like now when it's happening. We'll find out in a few years. But what I can tell you is that if those players don't turn out, and if it turns out the Blue Jays poorly identified talent or didn't develop it well enough, couldn't get the most out of it, if talent leaves this organization and goes to others and suddenly becomes great because of you know like whatever they're teaching over there uh, and whatever their developers are showing them you can be critical of the Toronto Blue Jays and say yeah you didn't do a good enough job if the Blue Jays start turning this rebuild around and get to a point where you could see them perhaps contending for a wild card spot and don't make win now moves at the deadline if they are like the Minnesota Twins and New York Yankees if they don't go and look for opportunities in free agency if they don't leverage what should be a high payroll you can come around and say these guys shouldn't be in charge because they are not doing what they said they were going to do. Right now, you just can't say those things because it's not done yet. We're not there. I think that we're midway through a long rebuilding process. Yeah. Or maybe not even that long. When you comparatively to Houston's. Sure. It's not even that long. But years long. Yeah. Taken a couple sure. of years. Yeah. But like people forget like, well, this is the fourth year that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have been in charge, right? They came in from yep. 2016, right? 16, 17, 18, 19, right? So Alex Anthopoulos took over in 2010. So 10, 11, 12, 13. So 2013 would be Alex Anthopoulos' fourth year. Yep. How'd that season go? Not great. What happened in that <laughs> year? He took a huge swing on the Marlins trade, right? That was 2013. Took yep. a big swing, didn't work out. And like, how'd Josh Johnson go? Was Jose Reyes like really like the player that Alex, you know, lusted after for so long? Like, right? Like, you took on a ton of salary, put yourself in some pretty tough positions. You didn't build a winner on the team. It's a miserable seat. Like, Colby Rasmus was your best player that year. Like, it was a miserable team. And then what happened the year after that? You lost again. They won more games, but you didn't reach the postseason, man. Like, you didn't do it. And fire up your mentions then. Look at the oh, dumpster yeah. fires that were in your mentions then. Yeah. Fire AA. Fire Gibby. Of course. And that was four and five years into it. Yeah. So Ross Atkins, Mark Spiro, this is their fourth year. So they're, they're there. And Alex Anthopoulos went through the same thing. And then 2015 happened. And he will forever be remembered as a baseball hero in this city, as he should, because he brought the team back to contention. And he made a really great trade for Josh Donaldson. Right. And he like did some really, you know, and when the deadline came and there was time to move all in and get that team over the hump, he went out and he got David Price, he got Troy Tulowitzki, he made it happen. The Blue Jays aren't there yet. No. 
And I think there's no way to endear yourself to a fan base like trading prospects for really, really good <laughs> players. That's, of course, that's like fans <laughs> love that. That's fun. And obviously, and Anthopolis. There's, there's no way to do the opposite than trading really good players like yeah. Marcus Stroman for prospects the fans have never heard of. Exactly. And of course, that's not going to go over well. I think that Anthopolis rightfully is regarded really fondly here because he took some big swings and ultimately connected on guys like Donaldson, yeah. Tulowitzki, Price. Those are trades that really help the Blue Jays become an incredible team in 15 and 16. So that's great. Now, there's no guarantee that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro will eventually enjoy the same success just because they have gone through similar struggles or just have gone through a rebuild. It doesn't assure the Blue Jays of anything. So I think, you know, as much as you say that the fans should keep in mind that the Blue Jays are doing what they're saying they're doing, I also think, hey, if you're a fan, you're watching this team that's on a 100 loss pace and you're frustrated and you don't like the return, that's fair. I'm not sitting here telling you that you should love Derek Fisher and go get a Derek Fisher jersey. No. If you don't like the return, you don't like it. That's fair. Like this team isn't good. They maybe got someone good. They maybe got a fourth outfielder. So it's ultimately going to take time to see if this whole thing works, but you don't have to be happy today. And I think it's totally fair for fans to say that team at Rogers Center is not winning. And you're demanding a lot of money for me to go watch that team and to buy yeah. the merchandise, right? Like ticket prices have not gone down, you know? No. <laughs> ticket packages aren't any cheaper now than they were, right? And I think as a fan, like it's a total, I'm here for the argument as well that like the Blue Jays should just every winter blow their brains out monetarily and spend all kinds of money on free agency and just build a winner forever and not worry about budgets and not worry about their pocketbooks, <laughs> right? And fill up the Rogers Center with 50,000 people every night and let's watch winner. Like I'm here for that. I'm here for baseball being fun again. I'm here for every GM being Trader Alex. Or right. being Dave Dombrowski back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for Dave that. Dave Dombrowski right now until, until last week. But not right now. Yeah. Even Dave Dombrowski yeah. didn't do at the deadline. Surprising. Right? So yeah. like it's across baseball, yeah. the caution, the hugging of prospects, like the uh, ruthless pursuit of incremental value. Right. Like just and you heard Ross Atkins talking about it yesterday. He's like, yeah, every deadline, like it seems like control becomes more and more valuable. You know, listen, this is this is a game of depth. And you look at the Houston Astros, the Los Angeles Dodgers. We talk about it all the time. We came in here with a plan to, to build as much depth as we possibly can. Uh, and we're going to continue to add to this core. And, uh, you know, now today is another day that we feel better about it. I think we've, we've added in today uh, 42 years of control of young talent that uh, is 25 and under. So teams for rentals aren't getting anything anymore. Yeah. Teams are not giving up their top prospects anymore. Like it's probably part of the reason why it was a really boring, dull deadline until Granky got moved. Teams aren't willing to make those big swings anymore. I'm here for a criticism of that. Absolutely. I just don't think you can criticize the front office for, you know, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Or they, no, they're doing what every other team's doing. Yeah. They're doing what all baseball front offices are doing. It's where it's been going for a while now. It's like baseball teams went from like the mom and pop shops. Like they went from like Joe's Hardware and like Beth's Fine Goods to Google and IBM, right? In the span of like 25 years. Sure. But we're here now. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, and like you said, it's not going back. No. Yeah. There's no unwinding this, yeah. right? So, but I like I do think that across baseball teams are too cautious, and I do think as a fan, you can make an argument that like, man, it's supposed to be fun. It's an entertainment product. I just want to, you know, have a connection to a player, right? And I just want to watch a winner, and I just want to, you know, get behind something in my market. I appreciate that. 
nobody buys the surplus value jersey. True. Right? True. Like fans don't show up with like, you know, Excel spreadsheets, like, you know, on, on banners saying like, you know, oh, like incremental value. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah. No, they want Troy Tulowitzki, man. They want Marcus Stroman. They want to see Marcus Stroman on the mound dominating. More than anything, they want a winner. And yeah. if Tulowitzki and Stroman aren't going to be a part of that winner, I think the fans get that you have to move on from those guys. And obviously moving on from Tulo makes sense. The guy retired last week. So <laughs> holding on to him for the sake of selling some jerseys. Bad example. Have, yeah. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have really helped. And Stroman too, like they could have thrown him out there. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. But I mean, with, it was pretty clear in the conference call that Atkins had with us a couple days ago that the Blue Jays did talk extension with Marcus Stroman. They were open to that possibility. And Stroman wanted way more than the Blue Jays were comfortable giving. That's me reading between the lines a little bit. Because if they had given him like Patrick Corbin money, it's not a movable asset. Right. It's not an asset that's attractive to other teams. And it freezes you in. What if Stroman declines in a year and a half? And then you're stuck with him for five years at 22. That's not good. So you make the cautious decision. And players sure. get paid less and less money because teams aren't willing to give as revenues go up and up and up, players are getting less term and less money, and they're getting pissed off and they're getting upset. And we move towards what could be a labor stoppage in a few years because everybody, <laughs> right? All because the Blue Jays didn't get all because of Mark Shapiro. <laughs> it's the purge, yeah, right? But like, what you know, there as a fan, I understand being unhappy with the way things are going in baseball. That's what I'm saying. Totally. But also, I think some of the criticism is ridiculous. Exactly. And <laughs> so. I think in particular, the criticism of saying that the Blue Jays don't know what they're doing, they know what they're doing. It might work, it might not. But they have a plan. They're doing things in step with Major League Baseball, for better or for worse. But, you know, the idea that they're trying to deliberately derail this yeah. or, you know, still double agents for Cleveland, that's like, it's oh, a little absurd. God. Well, like the goalpost um, move, right? right? Like, they're trying to win. It's just they're it not is. winning right now and they might not win later, but they're definitely trying to win. You held on to the Josh Donaldson asset too long, but you sold the Aaron Sanchez asset too early. Like, you know, like right. the goalpost move, right? Like, All the time. Re- remember when it was like, you know, they don't like Canadians or, yeah, Cleveland double agents. Like, yeah. some of the criticism is absurd. Yeah and ridiculous they're trying hard to win but and we'll see if it happens but i think there is like legitimate like and even if you want to go after their messaging like i'm here for that because it's very sanitized and it's like it's alienating i think sure for you know joe tim horton's drinker it definitely is but i also don't know how to solve that (laughs) yeah because the blue jays are just very forthright about what they're doing yeah they're very honest about what they're doing we'll see if it works we'll see if it works and if it isn't working in two years, if they aren't putting the final, you know, finishing touches on this rebuild and, and turning this thing around, Ben and I will be the first to say this didn't work. Maybe these guys shouldn't be stewards of a major league organization, but they are right now. I don't think we'd be the first to say it. Some people are saying <laughs> that already. We missed our chance, man. <laughs> we'd say it the most reasonably. <laughs> right. That's Ben Nixon Smith. He's on Twitter at B Nicholson Smith. Thank you to Amal Delich for producing. Thank you to Drew Livingstone for working the cameras. My name's Arden Zwelling. We will talk to you next time on At The Letters.